Well, hello, dear friends. It is Tim Barnett filling in for uh, our fearless leader, Greg Kokel. This is the Stand to Reason podcast. If you're listening on your uh, on your podcast streams, or you may be watching on YouTube. Either way, welcome to our show. We have a real treat for you. Uh, we have a very very special guest. He's actually, I just found this out before the show, he's actually a movie star, okay? Um, And he's going to tell us more about that in a second. Um, I'm actually talking about my friend and my colleague, Alan Schliemann. Alan, welcome to the show. Wow, thanks, Tim. I've... uh... It's great to be on the show. I've never been here before. It's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> it's great to be a guest. Yeah. Well, I'm actually really excited about the conversation we're going to have over the yeah. next hour. Um, and I'm so glad that you agreed to come on here and, and, and hang out with me. But before we, before we get to that, um, I wanted to jump kind of right into uh, this movie project, this documentary that you were involved with. I didn't know anything about it. Um, and I guess I should be a little ashamed of myself because it's, it's currently in theaters, at least over the last couple over last night and, and today. Now, when our, when our viewers, our listeners, um, hear this podcast, um, they may even be able to stream this on, you know, one of the platforms, I guess we'll, we'll find out when we get more information, but why don't you tell our listeners uh, and our audience here, um, what this documentary is, the title, and uh, and your the role you played in it. So yeah, the, the title of the documentary is called A Matter of Life, and it's about, of course, the subject of abortion and the pro-life movement. Uh, the movie was made by a filmmaker named Tracy Robinson. And uh, the, the kind of the neat thing about how that all got started was I was invited to speak, I think it was... It may have been the Get a Grip series at Greg Kokel's church. I'm not, I'm not sure what it was. I was. It may have not been that series, but I was speaking at Greg's church several years ago, and I was invited to speak on the subject of abortion, which, by the way, um, for, for all the STR speakers who ever have to speak on a subject that Greg knows really well and he's in the audience, hmm. that's always like a nerve-wracking experience. But anyways, uh, so I spoke on the subject of abortion. And I, I kind of just did my, my usual making abortion unthinkable presentation. And uh, this lady, Tracy Robinson, happened to be in the audience. She was invited, I think, by a friend to come and attend the presentation. Mm-hmm. And it, I didn't find this out until actually maybe years later. But apparently she was uh, really moved by um, the presentation in terms of understanding what abortion really is and, and having a heart for the uh, for unborn children and decided to make a film about it Mm. and so uh she ended up making it it's obviously just got released now let's see today is uh uh man what what is the date may 17th and 18th so may 7th no i'm sorry may 16th and 17th was when it was released uh for two nights and then i'm assuming it'll eventually go to streaming or purchase i'm not sure um, but uh, anyway, so she she flew in a number of, of people that we know besides myself, like Scott Klusendorf, Stephanie Gray, and many other people who are involved in the documentary. And she covers, I mean, everything <laughs> regarding the pro-life movement from uh, the, you know, the, the scientific defense of the unborn, 
Um, you know, the, philo- the, philosoph- the philosophical arguments. She addresses stuff about crisis pregnancy centers and pregnancy resource centers. Um, you know, she has uh, former uh, physicians. I'm sorry, former abortion providers who mm-hmm. are physicians. So, I mean, she just covers a whole bunch of stuff in the documentary. It's it's really amazing. And, um, yeah, so that's that's the big summary of it, I guess. That's that's pretty neat. And and you're telling me that you kind of came in late to the, the movie theater because you just got to see this film. And as you walked in, whose mug was on the big screen? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I took my son and my daughter and a couple of friends. And so we we were late because we had some car trouble. And so when we finally got into the movie theater, it had started probably five minutes into it. Oh. And as we're walking in kind of the side, you know, where there's like stairs and stuff, you're kind of coming up to the um, screen. I look up and it's just my head. It's like on the entire screen, my face. I'm just like, Whoa. And so, yeah, it was pretty startling to, <laughs> see, my, <laughs> to see myself. There. I, go, I guess I'm at the beginning of the, uh, of the documentary, I didn't know what uh, what role or I mean, or I should say, what parts that mm. where they filmed my my interview in. I don't know what parts they would have me in because I'd never seen it before. Yeah, but it turns out I'm in a lot of the beginning scenes, and so so yeah, wow. it was really cool. I mean, I, well, I play a small part in it, but well, it's it's just really cool that um, not only did you play a role in the actual documentary. But you actually played a role in kind of getting this um, documentary going because of the connection of giving this material with the the director in the audience and kind of igniting a fire within her to get this message out, which is just which is just so cool. I mean, this is why we we do what we do. We're trying to sure. train up um, apologists, in particular, in this case, pro life apologists, people who can make the cake the case in a persuasive and compelling way, right? Yeah. Um, for the life of them. And that's actually what we're going to talk about um, with our time together. So um, as as many of our listeners, our audience would know, there was uh, recent events. There was a leak with the Supreme Court, um, the potential decision. I mean, it's not in stone, but it seems that uh, Roe could be overturned. Um, and this has just created kind of a, a firestorm on social media. Yeah. Everybody is talking about abortion right now. And so if you're on social media, whatever platform you use, whether it's Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, whatever, it seems to be the issue right now. And this likely isn't going away anytime soon. OK, and and what I've noticed, Alan, you probably noticed this, too, is there is a ton of tweets and memes that are floating around and I, I you know i do red pen logic with the help of uh with certain key figures uh, at standard reason alan's kind of my go-to guy as well as amy hall and greg kokel and what i'll i'll end up finding a tweet and working on uh some red red lines some red pen stuff and and honestly what i'll end up doing is sending it to alan and amy and greg and uh, Alan, you're really great. I mean, you just, okay, Tim, this is good. This isn't good. Here's what I would change, that kind of thing. So what I thought we would do over the next you know, 50 minutes here is go through some of the top you know, 10 or so pro-choice memes that are out there, stuff that people have sent me that I haven't had a chance to red pen yet. 
and we'll just kind of go through the process here, um, bounce some ideas around. How would you respond to these particular challenges? And uh, and who knows? Maybe people will see some red pens on these particular memes later on because you're going to give me all the content. That's yeah, my seriously. Hope here. I- I'm wondering, are you going to take notes then, or what? Yeah. I mean, because. I'll have to play it back. I'll have to, you know, the recording and we'll just go through and people will see, okay, this is kind of the process that we go through. So we thought, hey, maybe it'd be fun. Let's let's answer kind of the top 10 pro-choice memes. And uh, and so what we'll do, if this is okay with you, Alan, is we'll go through these. But before we do, why don't you kind of in in five minutes or less um, kind of lay out the pro-life case. Like, what is the case so that when we approach some of these challenges, these tweets, we'll be able to keep that case in view as we move along? Uh, sure. Yeah. So the the way we frame the pro-life view is through a what we call a logical syllogism. It's not critical that you know that phrase. But basically, it's composed of, of a premise which says, um, it's wrong to kill innocent human beings. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second premise is that abortion kills an innocent human being, and therefore the conclusion would follow, which is that abortion is therefore wrong. So it's wrong to kill innocent human beings. Abortion kills an innocent human being. Therefore, abortion is wrong. So this is what they call in philosophy a, a valid deductive argument, which means basically that if, if premise one and premise two are true, then the conclusion that abortion is wrong logically follows by necessity. It must be true. And so then the key question in in making your case is to show that premise one and premise two are true. Now, of those two premises, you know, which one is the more controversial one? Well, it's it's obviously the second one, right? That abortion kills an innocent human being. Mm. Um, because the first premise is we that it's wrong to kill innocent human beings. And most people thankfully, will concede that, yes, it's wrong to kill innocent human beings. And if they don't believe that, chances are they don't need an argument. They probably need a jail cell or or some sort of institution, (laughs) right? Uh, They're they're probably not functioning properly in their mind. Mm -hmm. So usually usually in our case, we have to make the case that abortion kills an innocent human being. And so what that usually amounts to is us trying to show that the unborn is a human being from the moment of conception – it's a human being just like you and me. And uh, the, the way we make it is we try to argue from the science of embryology. And I would argue the science of embryology shows or actually proves. And I don't actually use the, the word proves very often because I don't think we can prove things necessarily. Like if somebody were to ask me, hey, Alan, can you prove God exists? I wouldn't say yes. I would say, well, I'm not sure I could prove it to you. But I think I can give you good evidence or good reasons to think that there is a God. Mm-hmm. Or, Alan, do you, can you prove that we have a soul? Well, I'm not sure I can prove it, but I think I can give you good reasons to think that belief in a soul is reasonable or something like that. Yeah. But when it comes to the science of embryology, I really believe the word proves almost becomes justified in the sense that the science of embryology proves three things. Number one, that the unborn is a living being. It's alive. Number two, that the unborn is a distinct individual being, meaning not merely part of the mother's body. And number three, the science of embryology proves that the unborn is a human type of being. And so if you can show those three components are true, that the unborn is alive, 
separate and distinct and a human type of being, I think you can show that the unborn is a human being just like you and me. And I would say that the science of embryology shows this decisively from the moment of conception that all three things are true. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know if we want to get into all the evidence for that, but we can if you if we have time or whatever. Yeah, maybe maybe along the way we'll get into it. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. But that's that's the basic nutshell, you know, of of the pro life case and just showing the evidence for those three components. Yeah, it's, that's great. And um, I usually tell people, look, if you can memorize your home address, you can memorize this syllogism, right? Why are you pro life? Boom, boom, boom. And as you said, if you can show those premises are true, that the argument is sound, then the conclusion, it just follows logically and inescapably. Right. Um, and so what we're going to see here is as we go through some of these challenges, these tweets, do they attack this argument? Do they undermine this argument? Um, and I think what we're going to see is some are completely irrelevant to the argument. Others kind of misunderstand some of the premises in the argument. Um, and they, so they end up missing, missing the mark, but we'll, we'll go through them together. Um, so are you, are you ready? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I see your list here. So, wait, okay, great. Wait, yeah. I so I sent, list I, yeah, I sent these to you oh, yesterday okay. or the, the day before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was confident that even if I hadn't, you would just, you know, you, you're so good at, at dealing with these because you do it so often. And that's an important point for our listeners. Um, you know, listen to the challenge yourself. You may even want to hit pause on your podcast or on the video and see, hey, how would I respond to this particular challenge? That's what I hope people do with the red pen logic graphics we do. Hey, okay, read the challenge. How would I respond? Okay, now let's see what Mr. B has to say, you know, and, and see if my, my response lines up with your response, that kind of thing. Um, and so that might be a good exercise for those who are, who are tuning in here. Okay, here's the first one. Let's start with number one. We'll try to get through 10 um, as we go here. Um, number one here goes like this, okay? Um, it says, and, and maybe on the video, we'll see if we can actually get some of these put up as a graphic so you can, you can actually see the tweet. But here's what it is in a nutshell. It says, the Bible's pretty clear that life begins at first breath. Hint, you don't breathe until you're born. And then actually in a, in a subsequent tweet in the thread, it actually cites Genesis 2-7, cites Genesis 2-7. So that's the, the text that's being used here. So Alan, someone says, look it, it's pretty clear. The Bible's pretty clear. Life begins at first breath and you can't, you don't breathe till you're born. So, you know, what, what do you say to that? Where do we even start with this one? Well, uh, Actually, clarity. I think uh, chaos is the one who brought this up in a recent uh, event, right? That's right. So, <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good point. We actually, what's and this is this is a really good point you're making, Alan. We actually just finished the reality conference uh, series. We did six locations this year, and we actually had a debate between Alan and I. Alan and I got to real. We got to hang out a lot. Okay, over the last uh, year, and he was chaos. I was clarity. And one of the arguments that chaos brings up in our debate is this particular argument. Life begins at first breath. That's what your Bible says. So, and then it was my job as clarity to respond to it. Okay. So, but here, here's my point. And I, and, and I think Alan's too. We weren't strong. These are the, the arguments that you see all the time on social media, like really popular arguments. And so what we wanted to do 
was give the audience, the young people at the conference, a taste of the arguments that are out there and give them like, here's the two minute response. And so, Alan, what I know you're you, you played the role of chaos, but bring some clarity here. <laughs> well, let me just read Genesis 2, 7, just to, just to clarify what they're referring to, because it okay. says, then the Lord God formed man of well, actually, let me read it out of. Well, that's fine. I'll, I'll read it out of the NASB here. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Mm. Okay, so that's that's what they're referring to. And actually, as I was just noticing, this isn't something that we brought up, I don't think, in our uh, in our role play. Yeah. But notice that it says God is the one who did the breathing. Mm. It's not the it's not the it's not the man who's doing the breathing. That's true. So I, I mean, in one sense, they're not even reflecting what Scripture says correctly, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But the, the other point is, and this is something that you brought up in our, our role play on stage during this whole conference thing, is that this is an example of how God made Adam, how he made the first human, and it's not a a blueprint for how he makes every human. So there is a unique sense. There, there is a situation where you're, what you have here is that there's a unique thing going on where God's making the first human because there just aren't any humans, and so He does this specific way where He takes the takes the dust. Breathe, he's the one who breathes into it, yeah, and it becomes a living being. It's not that oh Adam started to breathe and that's when he breathed. That's when he became a you know a living being at that point. Yeah. This is speaking, I mean, this is, it just seems to me to be clear. So, I mean, and they, this person who tweeted said, this is so clear, you know, and actually calls someone who interacts with them with this a moron because they can't read. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I just see that. Yeah. It says, and, you've never even read it, have you? Like they're, they're mocking the person who is questioning yeah. this. That's right. And I'm thinking, no, you haven't read Genesis 2-7. God breathed into Adam and Adam came to life. This is not prescriptive. It's descriptive of Adam, not prescriptive for all of life. And actually, you got me thinking, God breathes into Adam. And it says the breath of life. It doesn't say oxygen. I mean, there's something, there's probably more going on here than just, you know. So look at it. This seems to be really a vacuous challenge. And yet, this passes. The choice of words. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. This passes for like a, a knockdown argument. Like if you Christian just read your Bible. Now here's the here's the main thing. E, I mean, this doesn't do anything to un- undermine the case, right? The pro-life case. So they say, oh, the Bible says, it's interesting to me that it's the, it's the pro-choice advocate bringing up the Bible. I, I noticed, Alan, when you made your case, you didn't say, thus saith the Lord, or, you know, it wasn't like you were citing chapter and verse. You could do that. You could make an argument from from scripture, I think. But that's not the argument that usually gets put forth. Most people who are doing pro-life apologetics are just arguing from the, the moral case. Right. It's wrong to intentionally kill an innocent human being. Abortion does that. Therefore, abortion's wrong. Right. No Bible verse cited there. So it's just a little ironic to me that they think ours is the religious position, and yet they're the ones who are the ones to, to bring up the Bible first. Yeah, That's, we should be like, we should like, hey, stop making religious arguments. Yeah. You know, I, I'm a scientist, right? I'm only looking at the science. Trust the science, right? You know? Yeah, that's right. And so, 
and science is clear that life begins at conception. That's our argument. In fact, in our dialogue, you know, I make that point with you. Uh, yeah. Chaos to clarity. I say, look at what. Well, here's what the science of embryology teaches, and I go bang, bang, bang. Here's the textbooks, and the textbooks say that life begins at fertilization. That's human. That's when human development starts. Okay. Yeah. The other thing I'll add is that sometimes people to take this idea of breathing being proof of life, mm. and they basically say, well, in every other case, when a human is created, right? He's in the womb and he doesn't actually breathe until he comes out of the womb. Mm. And somehow this is sort of a modification of this type of argument. Yeah. But even that doesn't make any sense because what is breathing? Well, yeah. breathing is the taking in of oxygen mm -hmm. and the breathing out of carbon dioxide. Yeah. And although the unborn isn't doing that when he or she is inside his or her mother, um, his or her mother's womb. Yeah. Right. Um, the process of exchanging oxygen and CO2 is still occurring through the, the mother. So, I mean, through the placenta and through the umbilical cord, all the exchange of CO2 and oxygen still occurs. It's just not being done by the, the unborn's own lungs. Yeah. So that's right. It's just, it doesn't work either way that you make this argument, basically. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. The hint you don't breathe until you're born actually is a little mistaken because maybe not the way we do with our lungs. Yeah. Now, but certainly there is the exchange of oxygen. Um, and that all happens in a different way because of where the unborn is. All right, look, we, we only went through one, um, and we still got, we still got nine more to go, but we want to take a little break here. Um, just a quick break. We want everyone to hang with us. We'll be back with more. Our guest, uh, Alan Schleeman, as we answer the top 10 pro-choice memes that are floating around social media. We'll be back in a minute. As a high school teacher, I always had a red pen close at hand. When I wasn't in front of my students teaching a lesson, you could find me assessing assignments, grading essays, and evaluating exams. The red pen played a crucial role in the educational development of my students. With it, I questioned their assumptions, exposed their errors, and challenged them to think critically. You see, a good teacher doesn't merely tell his students that they're wrong. A good teacher shows his students why they're wrong so they don't make the same mistakes twice. He corrects because he cares. Last year, I was scrolling through social media, and frankly, I was discouraged at all the bad thinking that undergirded much of what I was reading. Then it hit me. What if someone applied the red pen to this flawed thinking? And red pen logic with Mr. B was born. In the last few months, red pen logic has grown in popularity. Through our engaging and shareable educational graphics and videos, we are helping people, especially young people, assess bad thinking by using good thinking, and we have a lot of fun in the process. So here's your homework assignment. Like the Red Pen Logic Facebook page so you don't miss our next graphic, and subscribe at the Red Pen Logic YouTube channel so you don't miss a single video. Class dismissed. Have you seen our brand new website? Stop by str.org and enjoy a fresh, clean layout with all the same great content. The new Stand to Reason website was designed with you in mind. It has an easier-than-ever navigation and a crisp, simple layout so you can find all the sound analysis and careful commentary that you've come to expect from us. Browse new features that make finding your favorite resources easier than ever. As always, it's our goal to equip you, our fellow Christians, with a confidence clear thinking, and courage you need for every encounter you have as a Christian ambassador. Our new website is just one way we're fulfilling that goal. 
allowing you to access the resources you need in a new and improved way. So visit str.org and keep coming back to discover new podcasts, articles, and videos each and every day. We are back with the great Alan Schleeman, and uh, we're talking about the top, answering the top 10 pro-choice memes that are out there. Uh, we want to, let's just jump right back into this, okay? So we did one. Let's go to number two. This one might be a little bit easier. Um, let's see here. Uh, okay, here it is. You can only ban safe abortions you can only ban safe abortions so what do we what do you say to that mr schleeman <laughs> yeah they definitely just see the graphic because the graphic makes it look so much more fun and exciting you know right <laughs> uh, um yeah i guess the yeah the i suppose the only safe abortions that we're banning are the ones where the law stands idly by while a mother solicits a doctor to kill her own son or daughter mm. i mean that's that's in essence what they're saying right yeah yeah so, in other words, the point is that there is no safe abortions, mm -hmm. right? Every abortion is a violent act which kills an innocent human being. Yeah. So, uh, are we banning some abortions? I mean, this this particular meme presumes that if we ban abortions, the only ones we'll ban are, are legal ones. Mm -hmm. And then there will only be then illegal abortions. And those will be more dangerous than the safer ones that are legal. Yeah. But, of course, this just presumes that the unborn is not a human being, is not being killed, which, of course, is the, the main premise behind the pro-life position. Is the unborn a human being? Is yeah. the unborn being violently killed? Or even if it's not violently, it doesn't matter. It's the unborn is being killed, right? Yeah. So this is the problem with this particular meme, is it, is it presumes the unborn is not a human being. That needs to be unpacked before you can really engage the person who, if you were speaking to somebody, brings up this meme. Yeah, so if, if this meme came up, I mean, if someone said you can only ban safe abortions, you you really want to ask the question, well, what is the unborn? Because if the unborn is a valuable human being, then it's certainly not safe for them. I mean, every abortion kills an innocent human being, if that's the case. So it's almost like an oxymoron. You can only ban safe um, uh killings of innocent human beings i mean that doesn't sound so good right i mean it right. sounds it sounds off but if, but of course if they assume the unborn isn't a human and only the mom is in view here then it, it would be like only banning safe appendicitis uh, uh uh what do they call it when you appendectomy yeah yeah um of course we wouldn't if it's just some something like the appendix you want that to be as safe as possible because there's only really one life in view but if if the if the unborn is a human being, there's actually two lives. And every successful abortion, legal, unlegal, safe, unsafe, would put that would would be killing that innocent human being, not safe for the unborn. Right. Right. So, yeah, and I would say that this meme has kind of like the previous meme that we looked at. It has sort of like a secondary application because the point they're trying to make is you make abortion illegal. Uh, now you're going to drive women to have illegal abortions. Mm. They're going to, you know, self-abort or do all kinds of crazy things. Women will die, and so on and so forth. So then, that you're getting into that whole argument. Yeah. Um, and so then that would potentially have to be addressed. But 
this also goes to show why memes are sometimes the worst ways to communicate ideas because, you know, this is one, two, three, four, five, six words, yeah, right? And it can be read in a second or two, but yet to sometimes explain what's wrong with it requires you to unpack all of these other ideas and principles, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, anyways, that's that's kind of the frustration with memes. Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. It can, it can take... Uh, five seconds to read a meme, but it takes, you know, sometimes 50 minutes to unpack it and and give an adequate response. Um, so we're just doing our best here in a short amount of time. Of course, more could be said, uh, certainly about that one too. But let's go on to number three. Uh, number three here uh, says this, an embryo is to a person as an acorn is to a tree. Both potential living things, but not yet. You can only kill a tree, not an acorn. What do you think of this little uh, analogy here? Yeah, this is uh, also a really uh, old and often used analogy. An acorn is not an oak. Therefore, in the same way, a fetus or an embryo is not a human, but a potential human. You know, an acorn is a potential oak. And I, I mean, I'm not sure what to say other than the person who makes this argument is just mistaken about the nature, well, not only of the unborn, but also even of oaks and acorns. Because it turns out that an acorn is an actual oak, okay? Now, it's not an oak tree, but it is an oak. And so what really this does is requires us to make a distinction between two two types of things. One is, what is the kind of being that something is? And the second is, what is the stage of development that that thing is at? Mm. So when it comes to um, an oak being, or when it comes to an oak, you have oak being, right? You have this like, whatever the scientific name is for an oak, okay? Mm. You have that, that's the being. But then you have different stages of development, right? Uh, First you have like a seed, then you have a sapling, and then it gets larger, becomes a tree, okay? And so those are different stages of development, so when someone says an acorn is not an oak, what really is going on is they're just simply saying that an oak at its earliest stage of development, which is an acorn, is not the same as a fully adult tree, which is what we would call or refer to when we see an oak. And it's like, well, of course not, you know. And in the same way, the unborn, you have to ask, what kind of being is it? Well, it's a human being. Okay. Well, what are the different stages of development? Well, you have, you know, an embryo, then you have a fetus, and you have a newborn, you have a, you know, toddler, adolescent, adult, so on and so forth. So, um, is it true that the uh, embryo is not an is not an adult? Well, well, they are different stages of development, but we're still talking about the same thing, and that is a human being. Yeah. And human beings look different at different stages of development, just like oaks look different at different stages of development. Mm-hmm. So again, I think this, that's the key problem is that they mistake the, the uh, they, they ignore really the distinction between a type of being and the stage of development that it's at. So you have the, the being, the human being is that thing from conception that goes through all the different stages of development. That's what you're saying, right? Like, right. so it's the same it, at conception. So we say, you know, uh, the zygote stage embryo stage, fetus stage, 
unborn stage, you know, newborn stage, toddler. I mean, we give these kind of classifications as stages of development. And of course, a toddler is not the same as a uh, is not the same stage of development as say a fetus. Those are different, and a senior is also a different stage. But it's right. the same being going through those stages. So it's almost like a category mistake that ends up happening here, right? Yeah. Where they're confusing the being going through the stages and the stages themselves. Right. Is that I mean, right? Yeah. I mean, because all living things look different at different stages of development, mm-hmm. right? If I was to show you a picture of this little egg and I say, that's a monarch. You're like, it's not a monarch. I'm like, yeah, it's a monarch. It's at the, uh, what do you call it? Egg stage, yeah. right? And then it becomes a caterpillar, which is the larvae stage. And then it becomes a chrysalis, which is at the whatever chrysalis stage. And then it becomes a butterfly. Well, di- living things look different at different times of development. That's just basic biology. Yeah. And that's the case with an acorn. An acorn is simply an oak at the seed stage, at the infant stage, if you will. And then it becomes a sapling. And then it becomes a tree. And the same thing with a human being. So when someone says you know, that embryo doesn't look like a human being. You would say, no, it does look like a human being. It looks exactly the way a human being is supposed to look at that stage of development. Yeah. Just like if I was to show you, say, hey, this is this is a monarch, and I point you to a chrysalis, you'd like, that's not a monarch. I'm like, yes, it is. It's a monarch at that stage of development, at the chrysalis stage of development. Yeah. Or it's a monarch at the larvae stage of development. Or it's a monarch at the butterfly stage of development, whatever they call that thing. But yeah. So... An acorn is not an oak? Yes, it is an oak. <laughs> you know, uh, therefore, an embryo is not a human? No, it is a human. It's just at a different stage of development. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so, good. I mean, they're, so they're getting basic biology incorrect about both oaks and about humans in this particular meme. Yeah, it's not a, it says both are potential living things, but not yet. And that's just not true. They're living things. And this is part of your case. Um, it, there's no point of non-life, you know, when you go through, you have living s- sperm and living egg coming together to create living zygote. There's no point of non-life. So it's a living embryo. It's a living fetus, but the, it, the, it's not yet say an adult human. It's a, right. it's a, it's a em- embryonic human or a fetal human or whatever human yeah. fetus. Um, and- yeah. Yeah, and an acorn by the way, it it is living. I mean, if it's just this is basic understanding what an oak is. An, an acorn has living cells in it that are growing. Mm. And in the same way as you mentioned, the unborn also is living. And in fact, biologists have three characteristics to determine whether something is alive. Does it grow? Does it respond to stimuli? And does it metabolize nutrients and convert it to energy? Mm. Well, the unborn does all three things. It grows, responds to stimuli, and metabolizes nutrients and converts those nutrients into energy. Therefore, the unborn is a living being, even at the moment of conception. That's so good. So they're just they're just getting their facts wrong, I guess, in this case. That's good. Okay, number four. Um, oh, this one was interesting because this one had a picture. Let me see if I can find the picture of a little baby. Okay, cute little baby. It was highlighting a, a CNN article. Okay, and the CNN article is baby born from twenty seven year old embryo believed to have broken record set by her big sister okay but here's what the tweet said because that was like the article that's being shared on twitter and here's what here's what the tweet said meet baby molly 
baby Molly was born from an embryo that had been frozen for 27 years. If we put baby Molly in a freezer for 27 years, baby Molly would die. Yeah, duh. What can... Uh, it says, what can you freeze... Why can you freeze? Oh, sorry. I wrote the wrong... I type, I'll just read it from the thing. Why can you freeze an embryo but not a baby? And then it answers the question. Because an embryo isn't alive. So what do you do with this I, challenge? I mean, again, I it's... It's sad. I don't. I don't even know what to say, because an embryo isn't alive. Uh, it's just not true. I don't. This is just factually incorrect. An embryo is alive in mm-hmm. every sense of the word, just like we just talked about. Yeah. When we say a biologist looking at something, trying to determine is this thing alive or not? Does it grow? Does it respond to stimuli? Does it metabolize nutrients? Does it take in nutrition and convert it to energy? The embryo does this from the mm-hmm. moment of conception, moment it's conceived. It's doing this. So. Mm. They're just factually incorrect. They're asserting things, not yeah. providing evidence for it, because obviously the evidence would be counter to this particular thing. Mm. Yeah. Now, why would a baby not survive? Is it if they yeah. put baby Molly in a freezer for yeah? So this is an interesting question. Yeah, why does a an embryo within a week or you know a week old, which is when they typically freeze embryos. Mm. My, I have a friend who adopted two embryos. Oh, wow. They were frozen embryos. She had them thawed out and implanted in her. And I asked her, I said, well, how old were the uh, embryos when they were frozen? And she said they were about a week old, you know, and ju- gestationally speaking. So, um, yeah, why can you freeze an embryo but not a baby, <laughs> a newborn baby? And I'm not sure, but my guess is that once you have all the complex body systems of a of a mature baby as opposed to a embryo, it becomes harder to sort of keep those body systems alive and all those organs and stuff. This is my guess, mm-hmm. you know. But that doesn't prove in any way that an embryo is not a living thing. Of of course it's alive. I don't I'm not even sure how they could get away with saying something like that. Yeah. There's definitely a non sequitur here. Okay, and just because a being very ba- generous, yeah, just because baby Molly, yeah, can survive in a freezer for twenty-seven years, and an embryo can, doesn't mean the embryo wasn't alive and can't sustain be sustained in that condition. So it just, yeah, there's a, there's a non sequitur here, but again, this was a kind of a popular tweet that went out, and I think this just goes, I mean, kind of a, an observation here. I don't. It's sad that people can't think clearly um, on a whole host of issues, but in particular on this issue, because it's so political and, and probably some other reasons. Um, but like this, just, this is not a good kind of a good argument. And yet um, people think, wow, this is a knockdown thing. Okay. How about this one? This one, uh, number five is one that uh, you actually sent me. Um, and it, because it was from a real prominent atheist, and this argument, it shows up every year. Somebody tweets about it. And I remember a couple of years ago, someone tweeted about it. And it had hundreds of thousands of likes. Like, this wow. was it, you know? And, uh, and it's been responded to over and over and over again. And here's, here's what, how the tweet goes. It says, uh, a trolley problem for the abortion issue. Okay? Here's the trolley problem. And I'll get you to explain what, what that even means in a sec. In a burning building, there's a newborn in one room and five frozen embryos in another room. You only have time to get to one room. 
which do you save? You're going to save the one newborn or the five frozen embryos. What do you do there, um, Alan? Well, okay, so the, yeah, the reason why I thought this was an interesting one to bring up is because, as you said, Michael Shermer, I don't know if he did he was he the founder of Skeptics Magazine or the founder of that organization or whatever. Yeah. But as you said, he's a prominent atheist. And so what surprises me about this is that you think that this is a guy who's been around the block, who's seen this kind of stuff, you know, over and over again, and consequently would have seen responses to this. Mm-hmm. But here's here's how he figures this makes his case. So he thinks that most people, including pro-lifers, are going to respond by saying, well, I'd save the baby. I'd save the one single baby as opposed to the five frozen embryos. And by the way, he does this, uh, he did this tweet as a poll. So there is like 92% of the people responded by saying, yes, I'd save the baby. Mm. And so what he thinks this proves is that, oh, you see, even the pro-lifer, when it comes to a situation where you have five frozen embryos and a, lot, and a, real, and a real baby, we don't really believe the five frozen embryos are real human beings. Otherwise, we would save those five instead of the one baby. Mm-hmm. So that's what he thinks it proves. Uh-huh. But as even many abort, even people who are atheists on the, uh, you know, who were who responding to him were pointing out, this does not prove that at all. All it shows is what instinctually we would do. And so if I was to answer the question, I'd say, yeah, I would probably save the one baby because I, I don't know, I'd hear the baby crying and run and save it. And I'd be like, oh, I don't know about those, those embryos, right? Because we have an emotional connection and attachment to a living baby that we don't have to, say, five frozen embryos in a test tube, mm-hmm. right? But, but here's the thing. If you were to ask me, Alan, if you had to choose between having your daughter die right now or five adults in some other country die right now, what would you choose? Mm-hmm. I would choose the five adults. What? Yeah, what? You'd save your daughter? You'd save one person over five? Yes. Why? Because she's my daughter. I love her. And maybe, yes. Uh, I mean, does that, does that prove that I don't think those five adults in another country are real human beings? Mm-hmm. No. It just proves that I'm a father and I have an emotional attachment to my daughter that I don't have with five strangers in another country. Mm-hmm. And so many people were pointing this out to him. He's like, they're like, this does not prove what you think it proves. It just proves that we're human beings and that when it comes to emotional attachments, sometimes those override are, you know, what we might think is logically the right thing to do. Yeah. And what's, I mean, what's interesting in this uh, trolley problem, this moral dilemma, you can only choose one. Who are you going to choose? The, the Save the baby or save the embryos? But when it comes to abortion, you're not talking about saving a baby or saving embryos. What you're talking about is killing an unborn human, right? So I get the argument is trying to, it's trying to make a point. And the best I think you can do is show that the pro-lifer is inconsistent because mm-hmm. they're emotionally attached to a particular baby or maybe their own, like, like you said, you're going to save your daughter over, over these other people. But that doesn't mean those other people aren't valuable human beings. And it doesn't prove that those embryos aren't valuable human beings. You're right. This is not a, a good um, argument, if that's what it's supposed to be, um, for abortion or for uh, the unborn being non-human or something, not valuable. 
That's good. Yeah. Well, more could be said about that one as well. We're just kind of scratching the surface on some of these challenges, but we need to do, we need to run to a break, a quick break, but we will be back with Alan Schleeman as we tackle the top 10 uh, pro choice memes that are out there and give a quick response. We'll be back in a minute. Hey friends, would you like to be encouraged throughout your week with timely, relevant content meant to bolster your knowledge, wisdom, and character? Or maybe you have a desire to be connected with other like-minded Christians from around the world. If so, then you need to follow Stand to Reason on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Not only will you be able to interact with other Stand to Reason followers, but you'll also stay up to date and informed on our latest resources and events. In our current culture, it's important to have something of value to break up your social media feed. So just visit str.org and find the links to all of our social media platforms at the bottom of the homepage. Friends, if you like this broadcast, I know you'll love Hashtag STRask. It's our shorter 20-minute podcast where I am paired with the wonderful Amy Hall, and together we answer the questions you send us on Twitter. Hashtag STRask is released twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays, and it's only about 20 minutes long, so it's perfect to listen to on your morning jog or while driving around running errands or cleaning your garage or just plain loafing at home. Amy and I tackle your questions on theology and ethics and culture and lots more, offering our insight on the questions you're asking or the challenges you face. You can listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your own shows. Just remember, send us your questions on Twitter using the name of the podcast, hashtag STRask. That's hashtag STRask. All right, friends, we are back with uh, the fabulous Alan Schleeman. I'm trying to come up with more adjectives to describe right, you, right, my friend. Right. Yeah, you need a thesaurus. I do. And, and, and we probably need more time to, because I don't know if we'll be able to hit all five remaining ones that you have. Yeah, we uh, we may need to do the speed round here. Um, I don't know. Uh, we got to try. We got to five, and we promised ten. So let's just let's just see what we can do here. Uh, Maybe we should respond to these memes with memes. We like should. Five well, word answers. <laughs> this is the problem with trying to respond to these kinds of things. They end up just taking more time. Um, okay, let's let's just jump in number six then. Okay. Um, here's what uh, I have here. Um, it says, we can legally pull the plug on people who are brain dead, even when they have heartbeats because they're legally dead, is what they said. And then it says, I'll, I'll just read the rest. Without a brain, you have no cognitive function or awareness of anything really. But it says, go off on how a heartbeat equals life so you can further oppress women. What do you think? Well, the, gosh, th this one's actually really complicated because mm -hmm. there's a lot of stuff about, well, what constitutes life? What constitutes death? Mm -hmm. I would disagree that we're not saying that a heartbeat constitutes life. Yeah. Um, because yeah. as we said, from a biological perspective, you have a living and distinct human organism that is alive from the moment of conception. It doesn't have a heart or a brain. Mm -hmm. And yet no no biologist or scientist worth his salt would say that this thing is not a living thing. It's clearly alive. Yeah. Okay. And I would say at that stage of development, which – what do they say is the stage they're talking about? I guess it would be an embryo because they're talking about when they don't have a brain. Mm-hmm. Um, at that stage of development, it's normal for an embryo to not have 
uh, or, or to not have a brain, but to have a heartbeat because you usually have a beating heart within three or four weeks, you know, and you don't have a, you don't have brain activity until maybe seven or so weeks. Right. So yeah, there, at, at, at that point, it's normal for the embryo to have a heartbeat and not have a brain, yeah. you know, and in fact, embryos can do these amazing things that, that adults can't do. So, yeah, but the, but the other problem is the definition of death, right? And they want to take this definition of death and impose it on an adult and say, well, since an adult is dead when there's no brain activity, the unborn doesn't have a brain. It also does not have brain activity. Therefore, the unborn is also, or at least at the embryo stage, yeah. is not alive. Yeah. But again, this is probably more complex than we have time to go into. Mm-hmm. But you know, having studied physical therapy and working in a hospital for years before I was working with STR, you know, death isn't merely just like, oh, well, you have no brain activity, so you're dead. Really, when you think about when something is dead, it's when the body loses its ability to act as an integrated whole. Mm. And all the body systems can't function any longer to to carry on the life of the, the organism. Mm-hmm. And so all the body systems start to shut down, right? And so in that sense, for an adult who's brain dead, yes, that's what's happening is accompanied with brain death all their body systems are no longer functioning together um they're they're falling apart and the person's dying mm-hmm. but in the case of the embryo that's not the case at all the 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 organism all of the organism's body systems are working together to keep it living and growing and developing to develop a brain you know mm-hmm. so with a with adult that's brain dead you have a you know no more Whereas mm. with the embryo, you have a not yet kind of scenario. And so anyways, like I said, it's, it's too hard to unpack this. But I have a lot to say about, you know, what constitutes actual death and what constitutes actual life. And mm-hmm. so a lot of that's being conflated in this meme or ignored, really. Yeah, the no more not yet uh, is a really helpful distinction um, because you just give that embryo more time. It's a, just a not yet situation. It's coming. But when it comes with, you know, brain death and there's no more, you can, you can, as you, you know, pull the plug or whatever, th- this individual is not coming back. They're not developing into uh, uh, more brain activity or something like that. That's not, that's not going to happen. So there's a definite distinction there. I think the problem with this is these heartbeat bills, people get the impression that because legally people are fighting for these bills that represent, you know, well, heartbeat, there's life. They think that that's what we're defining life as. But that's just, yeah. I think, a legal strategy when most pro-lifers think, no, no, there's life way before heartbeat. It's that conception. And so that might be where con- the confusion for some people comes from. They think, oh, you guys are fighting for life at heartbeat in these laws. Therefore, you must not believe it's alive before the heartbeat. No, no, that's not our argument. But Tim, here strategically though too, if if you didn't know all the stuff I know about death and life and whatever, here's yeah. a strategic way to answer this. Yeah, I would initially just concede and say to the person, "Okay, you're right. Let's just say you're right that the embryo, until it has brain activity, is not alive." Okay, mm-hmm. when does brain activity begin? Seven weeks. Okay, so would you then agree with me that up to seven weeks the woman can have an abortion, but after seven weeks mm-hmm. she can't because it's a living being? 
Well, most women hardly even know they're pregnant by the time it's reached seven weeks. So what this would effectively do would be ban the vast majority of abortions out there, right? Uh, so would, would the person then agree and say, okay, well, would you agree then we should ban all abortions after we have brain activity? They'd say no, because what they really want is abortion legal through all nine months of pregnancy. Yeah. And so this just goes to show that this particular thing is just sort of a smokescreen to hide the fact that they really want to have abortion legal at all times under all circumstances. Yeah. That's good. I like that. Uh, great response. Okay, let's do number seven. This may be our last okay. because I'm just looking at the clock here and we got about five minutes. And uh, so let's unpack this one. I think it's a good one. Uh, okay. There's a lot here. Number seven. Um, if you think abortion's wrong, don't get an abortion. It's not okay to impose your religious views on others. Why should a Jew or Muslim, for example, have to live according to your interpretation of the Bible. If you don't get this, please don't ever use the phrase religious freedom again. So what do you, what do you think's going on here? Uh, well, a number of things. I guess if you wanted to just give a, a memes worth answer or reply, yeah. you know, when, when they say, if you think abortion's wrong, don't get an abortion. Yeah. You can just sort of, you know, take the roof off, which is to kind of accept their rationale and apply it to something else to show how ridiculous that sounds. Mm -hmm. And the, the typical one is to say, oh, okay, well, if you don't like slavery, then don't own a slave. And they would say, what? Like, yeah, that's basically what they're saying, you know? Um, and, and the reason why they'd oppose that, because they don't just believe that slavery is wrong for them. They believe slavery should be wrong for everybody and no one should be allowed to do it. And that's precisely our view as well. We're not just simply saying, we don't like abortion, and so we don't want to get one ourselves. We're saying we think abortion kills an innocent human being, and therefore the restrictions against killing innocent human beings should apply to all people. Now, if you wanted to go into more depth here, um, obviously I think this person is mistaken. This is not merely a religious view of ours, which we've already alluded to. This is a scientific position um, that the unborn is a human being, and therefore killing it would kill an unborn innocent human being. So I think that this person, Kirsten, is conflating, um, is is kind of misunderstanding this this idea between our religious views and not. Yeah. Um, uh, and also, by the way, e even if it is our religious view, why why should we be restricted from uh, arguing for laws that express that in law? Mm -hmm. I mean, for example, uh, it's my religious view that, the, that, that theft is wrong. Mm -hmm. Can I not, therefore, you know, try to legislate against theft? You know, so, I, I mean, the way that this person's written this about religious freedom and stuff like that, it sounds like they're trying to make this a, a reference to um, the First Amendment of the Constitution, religious freedom. I don't know if that's what's implied here. I could be wrong. The whole idea about, you know, well, we should all have religious freedom, so don't, don't impose your religious views. But the, the First Amendment clause is not a restriction against people expressing their religious conviction. It's a restriction against government imposing their religious views um, or, or re restricting people from exercising their religious practices. So it's not a restriction against us trying to legislate for things. It's a restriction against the government imposing something, you know. Yeah. So I don't know if that's what she's trying to get at, but that's another thing I think is mistaken about her position. Yeah. Do you think um, 
that when she says your religious view on others, and if you if you think it's wrong, then you don't get one. Um, do you think she's kind of relativizing morality or religion here? You know, making it about your personal preferences. If you don't like it, don't get one. Of course, that's that's not our claim. We're making a moral claim, and we think morality is objective. So when we say abortion's wrong, we're not saying we don't like it. I mean, that's a different issue. Uh, we may not like it as well, right? Uh, hopefully, we don't like things that are wrong. But we're saying something more than that. We're saying it is wrong and not just wrong for me, but wrong for everybody. Do you think that's going on too? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, the very first point she says, if you think abortion is wrong, don't get an abortion. That is a relativistic expression of that. So, I mean, th then she just adds in all these other things about religious freedom and religion, which there's a lot to say about that, but it's just a meme. Wow. Time flies when you're having fun, buddy. Um, yeah, that was good. We, we didn't get all 10, but we got to seven. So there you go. Answering the top seven uh, pro-choice memes on social media. There's tons more out there. Hopefully you uh, learned something along the way here. Alan, so glad to spend the last hour with you. Um, listeners, we love you and appreciate you as you're interacting on this issue online. Don't forget to give them heaven. Take care.